It is time to get this party started. Welcome back to Lit for Christmas, the podcast where the books are full of Christmas spirits and so are the hosts. Join Marty and Amanda as they drink their way through the great and not so great works of Christmas literature. The fireplace is lit, the tree is lit, the hosts are lit. Grab a glass of something holly and jolly and join us as we get lit for Christmas again. Welcome back for another Lit for Christmas party. I'm Amanda. And I'm Marty. (laughs) And we are well on our way to being lit already. Oh my God. I'm about (laughs) halfway through my... What I thought was my second cocktail, (laughs) but turns out that these shakers, there's like three cocktails in it or something. So let me tell you, we better start talking about this month's book pretty soon, or there (laughs) is no guarantee, absolutely no guarantee of how intelligent I'm going to be when I get down to the bottom of this what I thought was my second glass, but is probably my third or fourth glass already. Mm. I might have made a little error in, <laughs> in the recipe instructions mm. that I gave Marty. So oh. he is especially <laughs> lit and we are both very full of Christmas spirits, but oh Marty might be jingling all the way. Already. Well, that, <laughs> that, 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 but we know every time a bell rings, mm-hmm. an angel gets its wings. An that, angel gets some gin. <laughs> that's what happens. So, so, okay. That's, that, that is putting it mildly. We are full okay. of Christmas spirits. Yes, we are. So, Amanda, <laughs> uh, how have you been since uh, we... <laughs> Since our last encounter, our close encounter with those white Russians, which let me tell you, those white Russians are looking pretty pale compared to (laughs) what we're drinking tonight. So how are you doing? I've been doing pretty well. I've been doing pretty well. Look, it's springtime. Everything is thawing. I feel like I'm thawing like Han Solo (laughs) out of his carbonite is, is carbonite oh my god carbonite i'm a little wonky you know i think you get extra credit my... <laughs> you get extra credit points for the star wars reference you really yeah do. well hey come on you know it's a podcast <laughs> people love that um but yeah you know everything's been good with me so far yeah. just like we're waking up like the world is waking up i feel it i feel a little bit of hope <laughs> a I little feel... bit of hope a little well, bit of alcohol. <laughs> well, well you know, the thing is, is that you live downstate where everything is green or getting green now. I still live in the UP. And, I know. you know, uh, I'm sorry. We did, we did have, I, no, don't say you're sorry. I love the UP. I love it too, but, but winters but, are no fun. No, They're they, no they fun. aren't. But I will tell you this, that yesterday <laughs> we had this like massive, like rainstorm, thunderstorm and everything like that. <laughs> did you so, have thunder snow? We, we didn't have thunder snow it was literally okay. a thunder rainstorm and like um thundercats cousin mm-hmm, yeah yeah and um and you know like there's there i'm i'm down to like brown grass at the front of my house and you know and the snow is really going i'm not saying that we're not going to have another snowstorm because amanda you lived up here long enough to know that yeah you know, we're just there's always always a saint patty's day storm always right. so i'm always. not saying that we are done with snow so we might have a white christmas 
again <laughs> you know before the winter is over but you know it's sort of feeling like spring but i will say this okay here's my exciting thing okay is that every time i go to the store i go i, I go to the store i look for this one thing and they've had it ever since they've had eggnog they're still selling <laughs> eggnog at the grocery store now you think that's sad but I think that's really exciting that and I'm still keep, getting able to get eggnog. You keep buying eggnog mm-hmm. well into March. <laughs> yes, but okay, so here's the thing. Now, so we drank white Russians last time, right? Mm-hmm. And the white Russians were what? Um, half and half and um, vodka Kahlua. and Kahlua. And vodka. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so I've made like a modified like holiday white Russian. <laughs> okay, I do half and half. I do some half and half. I do some some eggnog. Do you really want then, to be admitting this? <laughs> I do. Eggnog because I want to be the person who like like names this drink or like is known for creating this drink. So half and half, eggnog, and then butterscotch schnapps. <laughs> I mean, come on. It is like so good. It's better than white Russians. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's not as well, strong. Call, it's not as it, strong as what we're drinking tonight. But, I'm gonna call yeah. it Marty Schnog. Mm. <laughs> I like that Marty Schnog. Martin's Schnog. Marty Marty Schnog. I'll toast to that. I'll toast <laughs> I, to that. I've been Schnogging for <laughs> quite a while. No, okay. Now I'm I'm also eating as we're recording because uh-huh. I have a feeling that if I don't eat by the time I'm done with all the drinks that we're supposed to drink tonight, I will be so incoherent that you know um, you know i love the sound of you masticating you know ah, i love that you know i love that so let's you know yeah i love to masticate a lot too (laughs) (laughs) oh oh my god okay Okay, i think we need to get this party officially started before we're both seeing angels and hearing bells oh my god (laughs) I think I'm already I'm already seeing angels and hearing yeah hearing bogs. I was just gonna say bogs instead of bells. Okay, all right. I think you're right. We need to get started. <laughs> and in case in case you didn't catch Amanda's not so subtle drunk um, clue <laughs> as to the book we're covering this month, it is Philip Van Doren Stern's short story, um, "The Greatest Gift." That's a name to say when you're drunk. Try Philip, saying it three times really quick. Oh, wait, wait, let me try. Okay, Philip Van Doren Stern. Philip Van Doren Stern. Philip, <laughs> Philip Van Doren Stern. Yeah, slow it down. Yes, okay. to make my point. Which is, this story was the basis for Marty's favorite Christmas movie of all time. It's, it's a Wonderful Life. Drum roll. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. drum roll. Life. Oh, okay, drum roll. First say it. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. You know... It is, but but first, Amanda, <laughs> first, Amanda, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> the spirit of Christmas present that is ringing our bells a lot tonight. Okay. Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas, pet. Spirit, take me where you will. 
Um, you know, in honor of Philip Van Doren Stern's short story, <laughs> it it's I didn't get that wrong. I said Philip Van Doren Stern. I know. I was anticipating. I in my mind I said it wrong. That's okay. why I laughed. In okay. In honor of Philip Van Doren Stern's short story and its movie adaptation, It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life. We have chosen to pour ourselves some martinis. Martinis. Mm-hmm. Because one of George Bailey's best friends in the movie, as you know, is Mr. Martini. Now, now I know <laughs> that I, there, there's this whole thing about martinis, all right? There's this whole vodka versus gin thing. Yep. Okay. Yep. You know, when, the when eternal comes- debate. It is an internal What debate. do we drink? What do because, we drink? Vodka well, or gin? Well, because a lot of people don't like the taste of gin, you know, because my wife thinks that gin is like, I don't know, chewing pine cones or something like that. She, she does not like the taste of gin. I love gin. I have loved gin since before I was legally able to drink gin. You know, <laughs> I don't know so if you should be admitting that. I, you know what, I'm old, I'm old enough, you know, that I think the, the, Our, you know, the, stat, the, the statute has like expired <laughs> on that. So, you know, anyway. Oh, and, I, and I just a little tidbit here. I have never actually had gin until I was taste testing for this mm, here podcast mm. episode. And, so, and, and, so, what and do you, gin all the way, my friend. Oh my God. Gin yeah. all the way. You know what? Yeah. I, I mean, we did vodka last month. We did vodka yeah. last month, which was great for the white Russian, which sure. is totally appropriate. But, yeah. you know, gin, come on, gin. So, you know what? <laughs> I, I, that's all I can say. You I know, gin. Wait, wait. Let, let's G-I-N. toast. Let's toast okay. gin. Okay, we're gonna let's take another drink here. Here we go. Amanda and gin. I are taking another drink. Toasting. We love you. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, um, Amanda, okay. you're you're <laughs> always the bartender. You choose the recipes <laughs> and everything. So the person with the least actual experience drinking alcohol gets to be the bartender for this. Well, podcast, that's all but right. That's okay. That's all right. I find it very interesting. I like the research part of it. I love I love all of it. I love well, the they, taste testing. I love the garnishes. I love. I love, it all. I love the taste testing too. But you do the taste testing, and I just like. <laughs> I just sit and watch you on Zoom going, yeah, that looks really good. <laughs> so anyway, why don't you tell everyone what's in our glasses tonight, which mine is almost empty again. So that's oh, not, well, that's not you better, good. You might want to pace yourself a little bit. We have, <laughs> we have a very, luckily, a very short story yeah. to discuss. Yeah. So that's, that might be good for our drink of choice <laughs> tonight. All right. Um, well, okay. So I'm going to give a little background. So we have selected the French martini. Mr. Martini, mm-hmm. I know this isn't your everyday basic martini, which would call for gin, dry vermouth, maybe a twist of lemon or an olive. Um, this is no olives, at, no olives. No olives. Please, Marty I is hate. not a fan of olives. No. So I had to keep searching for something. And I had to look for something that was... You know, something that would please both of our palates. I'm, I'm not picky, am I? I prefer a little fruity, a little frilly, maybe a tiny bit of fancy to it. And... I, I prefer fruit too. So. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so I did the French martini. And the French martini is kind of special in a few ways. 
the French part comes from the addition of Chambord. So that's a black raspberry liqueur that has been produced in France since about the 1970s. And it's made from red and black raspberries, Madagascar vanilla, citrus peel, honey, and cognac. It's good. It's, it's, I like it. It's probably you, you that- could You <laughs> could pour that over ice and <laughs> you I could, would drink well, it. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, it can be used over even some like types of like fancy desserts and that kind of thing. But it's 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 like that funky round bottle that's probably all dusty, like way in the back of of your pour it over, cabinet. Pour it over cheesecake. Ooh, oh, yes. Genius. Okay, <laughs> I love that. So, <clears throat> so the French martini um, kind of started, you know in that fruity late 80s time period, early 90s, where people were, were into like the fruitinis, the apple teeny, all that kind of stuff. But this was kind of the original. This was kind of the first one. So I don't know. I, I like it. <laughs> it calls for gin, which we have discussed um, ad nauseum already because we love gin, mm-hmm. which gets its flavor from juniper berries. Um, Which sort of tastes like, like a Christmas tree in a way. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's where Mm -hmm. we're getting our botanical from. That's where we're Mm -hmm. getting our Christmas flavor from. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, we picked a Tanqueray for our. Because there is no other gin that people should drink besides (laughs) Tanqueray. Did you know that it was Frank Sinatra's supposed favorite? You know, Frank had good taste. Yeah, he, he really did. did. I mean, old blue eyes. How can we? Oh, come on. How can yeah. we go against him? You know, the yeah. Sultan of Swoon. We we can't. We can't. We can't. I'm a little because worried. Frank would be. <laughs> Frank would send somebody to kill us if we didn't agree with him. You know, we may become old cross eyes by the end of this podcast yeah, because I, of it. But whatever. whatever. I already am. So go keep ahead. Drinking. Right. We'll keep drinking. <laughs> Yeah, so so we're having the French martini. Um, it, you take you take a couple ounces of gin. Mm-hmm. People can couple? The recipe calls for four <laughs> ounces. I know, but that was for like two drinks. I'm I sorry, did not I know that. that clear. I, I did that not make that clear. <laughs> I didn't make that clear. So Marty has had twice the amount of alcohol that I've had so far. Because <laughs> apparently I don't know how to explain a recipe in an appropriate manner. <laughs> Um, so but I'm, not chose... complaining. I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, you seem really happy for it. So, mm, I am you know, happy. Good mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you you throw some gin in like one of those funny cocktail shakers that people who actually make cocktails all the time probably mm-hmm. have, and the rest of us just think, what do I do with this? Until you get these funny ideas, and um, you have the chambord. You have pineapple juice. So you mm. get a little tropical and you shake it up real good over some ice. Shake, 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 you know. That was my you... favorite part of preparing <laughs> for tonight was I... the shake. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a comedy of errors tonight trying to get this thing like the top flew off. It sprayed oh. all over. Oh, good. Because yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one because <laughs> I was shaking it and this this stuff was like flying all over the place. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm wasting gin. We were erupting yeah. with our cocktail um, yeah, yeah let's just um, move past let's that not. we'll move on okay on. yeah but so you, <laughs> sh- you shake it up but what you're supposed to get like the part that i really like see this is my favorite part of the strip yeah. is it turns a little bit pink because mm-hmm. of the raspberry liquor mm-hmm. 
And then when you shake it up with a pineapple juice, it develops a head. It develops like a frothy, <laughs> little delicious head to it. And but you, you put salt it. in it too. Remember yes, the salt? Yes, yeah. that was another. That was like another fancy like addition that I was. We're fancy. About. <laughs> Amanda <laughs> and I are. We have fancy coming out our butts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are so fancy but yeah so like frozen raspberries because <laughs> that's fancy and we love it a little bit of sea salt or like a coarse salt a little kosher I don't know whatever you want whatever you have a little Himalayan pink if that's your thing just sprinkle a touch of that on the top Himalayan pink Himalayan pink that's you know, almost like sounds pop. pornographic. It almost <laughs> sounds pornographic. I'm sorry. Okay. It's a Christmas podcast. Marty. I know it is, but gutter. it still sounds pornographic. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that is what we're drinking tonight, people. All right. Well, <laughs> because we are really lit now, mm-hmm. I, I know I am. I don't know mm-hmm. how much Amanda is, but I I am so I'm sweating. Lit. I'm sweating. Oh, you're sweating. So you're lit. Okay. I'm lit. So it, it's time to talk now, <laughs> if we can, about Christmas, some Christmas lit. Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You, you are the spencer whose coming was foretold me. I am that spirit. What are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No. Your past. Marty, since It's a Wonderful Life is your favorite Christmas movie, why don't you take us for a walk with the ghost of Christmas past? Tell us a little bit about Philip Van Dornstern and The Greatest Gift. All right. Well, (laughs) I'm going to try to do this in a coherent fashion. I'm going to take another drink, which doesn't help. Mm. Okay, so Philip Van Dornstern. Okay, you know, this guy really wasn't wasn't a novelist. You know, he was born in 1900 in, um, okay, I'm going to so totally screw this up. It, it was, um, let me see, I, I can't remember the name of the town, in Wyalusing, maybe? Wyalusing, Pennsylvania. Ooh. Okay, so he was he was born there. Um, his father was a um, was a was a traveling merchant, which I think is really significant because mm-hmm. um, because the book itself, you know, the short story, yeah. um, the the angel in that is portrayed as a as a traveling salesman. Yeah, you know, so I, I think that Van Dornstern sort of borrowed from that. <laughs> so he's born in 1900 in Wyalusing, Pennsylvania, but you know, um, the family didn't stay there. Um, he grew up in, um, Jersey city, New Jersey. So he's a Jersey boy. He's a Jersey boy. He's a Jersey boy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's nice. a Jersey boy. And, like um, that. you know, so he grew up in, in Jersey city and, um, he went to school there and in uh, 1924, he graduates from Rutgers university. Okay. And, um, from Rutgers university, he I goes had in some experience with some Rutgers boys. I'll just say, were, were they, were they nice? They were nice. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad. All right, I'm. I'm not even going to delve further into that. Continue. I'm sorry. Continue. 
because this is supposed to be a drunk family podcast. So, you know, um, for all you drunk families out there, yeah, for all you drunk families out get there, get your drunk on. Exactly. Um, so sure. anyway, he graduates from Rutgers and then he goes into a, he goes into advertising. All right. Mm-hmm. And then, and, but he doesn't stay in advertising. It doesn't seem that long. I don't know how long he stayed in advertising, but anyway, he eventually switched over into a, a career in publishing. You know, he was an editor. He was a book designer and things like okay. that. So, so he's this book designer, but you know, that's not really where it's at for him. He really wants to be a writer, you know, and, and he actually, be, I mean, he actually was a, a very prolific writer. Um, in his in his lifetime, he wrote over like 40 books, but he was not primarily um, a fiction writer. He was a an historian. I mean, out of those 40 books, most of them are books of history and most of them are books about um, the Civil War. He was like this massive Civil War historian. In fact, in his obituary, he died in 1984. So he lived to be about 84 years old. And in his, um, in his obituary in the New York Times, yeah, he had an obituary in the New York Times. That's how famous That's he was. Cool. Yeah, cool. um, he, was, he was identified as, you know, like one of these premier historians for um, the Civil War. So, I mean, it was, it was all about the Civil War. He's published over 40 books. So Amanda, between you and I combined, we'll probably never publish 40 <laughs> books. If we're lucky, you know, maybe we'll publish... 10 books between us each, you know, but he published over 40 books and he wrote some novels and everything, but you know, the most famous, and one of the things that he did, which is really interesting during world war one, world war one, world war two, what he was really famous for was that he published these books that were given to GIs as they were heading overseas to take with them to read. And, you know, he sort of is, um, known as the person who possibly popularized the paperback novel because that was what they were. They were like That's these paperback cool. that, that the GIs took over that with them to to war. And it was these th- like these little pieces of home that they brought yeah. with them and were able to read. And, you know, at, when they were there, when they were over and fighting in the, in World War II. So that's, and that's one of the I, things. I think about how important those books were to those guys. They, they were hugely important. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and I think that's a huge contribution that Van Dorenstern did. Yeah. Um, uh, to, but, you know, the thing that he is most known for is this very small short story that he it's wrote. It's tiny. Yeah. It, it's, I, tiny. it's really small you know, called The Greatest Gift, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that he's most known for. He did write, like, he didn't write much fiction. I think he wrote a couple novels, but most of it was nonfiction, historical stuff. He did some, he did some collections of Edgar Allan Poe's write, uh, letters and Abraham Lincoln's letters and stuff like that. But most of what he's known for is nonfiction and historical. Um, but... Um, the other thing that he's known for and probably most famous for is writing the short story, The Greatest Gift. Now, The Greatest Gift is the short story that was the basis for the greatest Christmas movie <laughs> of all time. I don't care what anybody says. You know, I, I, I listened to Tis the Podcast with Tom yeah. and, and Julia and Anthony, and um, they don't think it's a Christmas movie. I 
you know, I'm taking a drink on that one. Well, Marty, it's no elf. We'll say that. <laughs> you know what? You if know he could what? reach, if he could reach through this computer and just slap me silly right now, he would. I can see I, it. I, I can totally see it. <laughs> would. I to- take another drink. I'm just, just teasing. Take another I'm drink. just teasing. Well, well Amanda. You know, Tell everybody everybody about like how this story originated. This is the part that is the most interesting to me. I find this fascinating. Okay. So (laughs) it was in 1938. Okay. He wakes up one morning from a dream and literally he dreamed this like entire story from beginning to end. And he's, he's standing there in the mirror shaving in 1938 (laughs) And he's like, literally, he has this whole story in his head from beginning to end, which as a writer, and Amanda, you're a writer too. You it's know, amazing. It's that's, amazing. That's a, that doesn't happen. You that know, it's the greatest gift. That is the great, because, right? because, you know, you're usually, a writer. <laughs> yeah, usually what you do, I mean, you're a poet, I'm a poet, but I've written short stories and sure. essays and everything too. But with a, for a writer, most of the time you're like, oh, I got this great idea for a short sure. story sure this idea or a phrase a phrase or, or like this opening image. you know this like, I've, been, I've been pondering this image right. for about exactly. five years what am exactly. i going to do with it you know? <laughs> but this guy literally had the story from beginning to end lucky which bastard I, he, is, he is he uh, is this know. is uh, you know he is a lucky <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You said bastard. I'll say bastard too, because I okay. guess PG 13 sort of. Fits. We could say SOB. We can say SOB. He was, a lucky I don't, SOB. yes, he wasn't a lucky SOB. So oh. he's sitting there and he's shaving <laughs> and he's got this whole story and he's like, Oh, this is so great. And then he realizes crap. I don't know how to write fiction. <laughs> so <laughs> he writes, what the, must I do now? Yeah, he writes this first draft of the story and looks at it and goes, yeah, this is crap. <laughs> right? And and I love that it, feeling. I love yeah, that feeling. Yeah. And it's puts like it in a drawer. Ever ever. <laughs> yeah. It, he puts it in a drawer and it's like, no, I can't do this. This isn't what it is. It's not the idea. It just doesn't. You, you know that feeling. Like, I yeah. have this idea for a poem. And then yeah. you write the poem and you think, yeah, that's not it. You're and then like, you I can't ever show this to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Ever. and then you and then you pour yourself another drink. That's and, right. Uh, you know. Then you shake, shake, shake. Get your you cocktail shake, shake, on. shake, and get your cocktail on, and, and think, then you feel I, a little better about yourself. You do, but <laughs> the poem is the poem or short story isn't even better. But you know, yeah, but it just feels better then. It just feels until right. you wake up in the morning and you realize <laughs> that it's really not. So anyway, he puts this in the drawer, and he's and and literally what he thought was, I need to learn how to write fiction. That's See, that's how that's, a, that's just a crazy thought to have when you're already sort of I don't know to have to have the awareness of your own abilities to say most people would be I think in my opinion most people would would be like well I can do that I can do that but he's like no no let's wait a minute I don't think I quite know how to do that exactly <laughs> that's it that's it and that's what, he had this self-awareness mm-hmm. that he did not have the talent or the skills to write this story yeah. so what he does is he puts it away he writes it puts it looks at it and goes um crap that's crap puts it in a drawer <laughs> And then, and then just keeps coming back to it over and over as he's learning, 
you know, yeah. as he's developing his craft, you know, come this guy wrote 40 books. So he's not yeah. like any slouch when it comes to writing. Yeah. Plus, plus he was a publisher. He was an editor. So he knew good writing yeah. and he knew bad writing. And what he was looking at was, <laughs> bad, was writing. bad writing. So, so he keeps on coming back to it. Over. Well, and eventually, his heart. Yeah, eventually, eventually. We're not inflicting he, his bad writing upon the world. Well, and eventually he gets to this point where he was like, yes, I think I finally, uh, yeah. I have reached this vision of what this story is. Right. And, so, and that and so was what, about, does, what does he do that all writers do when they reach that point? <laughs> what does he do. He, he sends, sends it out. He, he no, sends it actually, off into the he world. Has, he has a he had an editor and he sent it to I, I mean a, uh, an agent. So he sends okay. it to an agent. And the agent says, I really like this, but I don't think I'm but, gonna be able to sell this. Yeah. Because at the time it was 1943 mm-hmm. when he finally got it to a draft that he thought was something that he didn't want to shoot himself in the head with <laughs> which is you what know? almost a decade later well it's about what seven no i don't know let's see i can't six, do the math six, six years later it's six or years when later. i'm sober <laughs> well i can't do it either i i was a freaking math major yeah you know, actually i was a math minor which is really sad oh man marty i was a math and computer science wow. minor you've got powerful brain cells in there no, no i'm killing them. i'm killing them right now so anyway, <laughs> so anyway like, wait, 1943 wait, he finally what? has a draft that mm-hmm. he's not ashamed of right so he yeah. gives it to his talent his uh his um agent. agent and she sends it off doesn't get anything nobody wants to take it nobody mm-hmm. won because it's it, what she says it's just, it nobody is publishing fantasy now, you have to remember that the world at this time was in the midst of World War II. Yeah. You know, there's a lot going on. It's, it's, I mean, the whole world is like, all it is is about death and, you know, casualties. People are getting telegrams that their, that their relatives are, have been killed in action, things like that. It's really you would, kind of. You would think that people would want the fantasy outlet yeah. at that time. You, you know would what I mean? Think, like you, you would, would think, think that so. people would be more open to that. But I think people were more like, like, we have to go to work. We right. have to support this effort. We have yeah. to deal with the realities of life. And maybe, I don't know. Yeah. They, they just didn't want, they just didn't want fantasy. They did or not maybe, want fantasy. Maybe the agent really thought it sucked and just told uh, them. I think that the agent really pushed it. So <laughs> anyway, so Van Dornstern gets, does, you know, just keeps on getting rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. Amanda, you and I all know about oh, that kind of rejection. I love that, I love that kind of rejection. Yeah. Oh, so what he does. Feeds my soul. Feeds what, my so soul. what he decides is he's like, well. What he decides is like, well, screw you all. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. And he like prints up 40 copies of the story in this bound thing as a Christmas card. I can and just he, see him giving double guns to everybody. Yeah, just like, no, ba-bam, ba-bam, ba-bam. <laughs> and so, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make it rain with my you know, Christmas card. Exactly. This fantastic, so, fantastical dream story escape. Yeah, he signs, he signs, <laughs> and he autographs everyone. He signs it as a Christmas card, you know. Yeah. So he That's and, cool. and That's a great and, idea. Yeah. yeah. So he sends it out to everybody. And he has his daughter even mm-hmm. like give it to their teachers and everything like yeah. that, you know. 
he wants to get his story out into the world. He's like, you know what? I wrote this really good story. And, you know, nobody wants to read it. So screw you all. Merry Christmas. Here it is. Merry Christmas. Here it is. You're going to okay. have to read it. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so you have to tell said, me how good it is because I sent and, it to you at Christmas. And, and, you know, and everybody's like, oh, you know, I have to be nice to the story because it's Christmas. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, he sends it out on Christmas. I love and the he, fruit cake. Yeah, exactly. My favorite. Hey, don't don't be dissing fruitcake. I love fruitcake. Oh, shut your. Oh. I, love, I love fruitcake. Come on. Okay. Come on. Anything soaked in, in my craw. Anything stuck in soaked my in anything soaked in rum is good. Okay. So anyway. All right. So you're part pirates. Continue. Yeah, okay. okay. So anyway, so he sends this out <laughs> as Christmas, and he was like, "Okay, good. It's out in the world." I, you know, I, I sent it out there. I, I wrote the story that I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me six years to do it, but I did it. <laughs> you know, and he sends it out there and he was like, okay, fine. That's good. You know, and he's done and he moves on with his career. You know, he's got a good career. I mean, yeah. he's a publisher. He's an editor. He's a writer. He's publishing like books on the Civil War, which he's really interested in and which he was really famous for. So how and does so- this Christmas card... Uh-huh get to be jimmy stewart like frank capra sweating on everybody yeah okay (laughs) so here's what happened how does this happen this was christmas 1943 he sends out this christmas card in february or no april it's april okay i've had too many drinks it's april 19 april 1944 he gets this, uh, his, uh, the phone rings in his house and his daughter answers the phone and it's someone who's going to, who's reading a telegram. Oh. Now, 1944, when you receive a telegram, That's it's usually, good. it's yeah. it's not good. It's usually That's someone, it's bad yeah. news. Someone's usually been killed in the war. It's about casualties, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's bad news. Mm-hmm. So Van Doren Stern gets on the phone and the, and the, um, and the uh, um, uh, person who's reading the telegram says, you know, start to reading it, you know, and I can imagine this whole thing. I really can. Yeah. You know, he probably like lost all color in his face, and, you know, <laughs> and he probably felt like I slid went, to the floor, you know, he, <laughs> and basically what it was, was the, the telegram was from an executive at RKO Studios in Hollywood who had somehow gotten a copy of this Christmas card that he sent out and wanted to purchase the rights to this Christmas card for um, for making into a movie. Wow. And 1944, um, he offered Van Dornstern for his Christmas card, $10,000. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot of money for us right now in yeah. in in our jaded in our jaded <laughs> twenty twenty one pandemic you know I selves know. you know ten thousand dollars is like well screw it you know ten thousand yeah, dollars doesn't even that doesn't even pay for a trip to Disney freaking world okay oh and God. you know so I have but, young children don't even talk to me about that I can't they, even think, think about, about that. this ten thousand dollars in nineteen forty four the equivalent in 2021 of ten thousand dollars is literally almost a hundred and forty nine thousand dollars so he is offered 
the equivalent of $149,000 for a Christmas card. Good on him. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know what? If somebody offered me, tw- you know, night, I know $149,000 for a Christmas card, I'd be like, you know what? I've got a few more of these Christmas cards. Well, you want to give me some more? I've got a whole bunch of Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. I'll send you one every day of the year. Exactly. So, so, so he, of course, he accepts $10,000. Yeah. And so the whole process <laughs> goes into, um, into um uh you know the, the whole process rolls along and um the eventually frank capra the director who had just gotten out of gotten out of war service he was he was in the military you know he'd been mm-hmm. making he'd been making films for the military and stuff like that he you know rko approaches him and says hey i've got this executive from rko says hey i've got this really great script i think it's great i mean this idea it's great for you and um Frank Capra loves this short story, loves the idea of the short story. And so um, he had just made, he had just created like um, his own production company because he wanted more power, you know, creative power. So he created this Liberty Films, which is the, his product was his production company. And, um, and the first movie that he wants to do is The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern. And of course, what he does is he contacts his old friend, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, Jimmy Stewart, who, yeah. you know, I'm drinking, I'm lifting my glass to Jimmy Stewart because he is a god. Okay. To Jimmy. To Jimmy. To Jimmy. Mm-hmm. In all his exaggerated emotional glory. I love Jimmy Stewart. Okay. So anyway, Jimmy Stewart is also coming out of the war. He was a decorated like war veteran. He he floor he he literally flew bombing missions all through World War II. And Jimmy Stewart hasn't made a movie in like five years, you know. And he decides, you know, that hey, I'm going to uh, you know, he's not sure if he wants to make movies anymore. He thinks there's kind of frivolous, he, you know, in some ways he's dealing with this post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Of being I can imagine. In, I, mean, I mean, huge post-traumatic the transition stress. from wartime to civilian. Exactly. And, and, you know, and all the things that he saw, I mean, he flew bombing missions all through world war two. And poor so, Donna Reed had to bear the brunt of all of his well, transitional exactly. emotions. You know. <laughs> I'm so, going to shake her violently and tell her I love her. Oh, okay. Let's not even get it. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is, is suffering and he doesn't, he doesn't really, he isn't really sure if he wants to be part of the movie industry yeah, anymore. No, I get it. You know, he's, he's not serious. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, so. Wait, no, Marty. I, I have to be honest here. And yeah. up until two nights ago, you know this, I had never even watched It's a Wonderful Life. You just wound me when you say that. I know, but I watched it. Yeah. I watched it. And, you know, and about, oh, four weeks ago, I had never heard of The Greatest Gift. I'm taking, so another, I'm taking another drink on take this. Take another drink. Take another drink. Mm. But because of you and your influence... Now I have experienced both. Right. You know, and the yeah. thing is, you know, it's sort of hard to sort of divorce the short story from the movie, you know, because everybody, is. everybody knows it's a wonderful life, 
not a whole lot of people have read The Greatest Gift, which is what what it's from. But, you know, Stuart really loved, you know, he wasn't he was ready to just like walk away from the film industry. And Frank Capra, like, calls him up and pitches him this idea. And Jimmy Stewart loves it. And so this is the the short story, this this story by Philip Van Dornstern that sat in his like, I don't know, his dresser drawer for <laughs> like six years, you know. Um, under his clean pressed underwear. Under his, well, maybe not years. so clean, you know, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, yeah. he, he, this is the thing that makes Jimmy Stewart want to make a movie again. And eventually... And- Eventually, Stewart, yeah. at the end of his life, said that It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite film that he ever made, favorite part that he ever played. And Frank Capra said it was literally the best movie that he ever made, which is huge because yeah. Frank Capra, you know, um, made a lot of really amazing, amazing films. Yeah. So, you well- know... You yeah. had recommended, you know, when we were talking about this as a pot, as a topic for this podcast, um, and you and you were shocked and appalled that I had never seen mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful yeah. Life, um, and you were like, "Watch the movie, watch the movie first. And me being the contraire that uh, I am, <laughs> you never follow my I, advice. I never, you know, I always get around to it, but I do it in my own contrarian way. So I was like, "No, no, no." I need to read the story first. I need to develop uh-huh. an opinion about this story that will, and then I will watch the film and I will see how the two mesh and then how I feel about it afterwards. So that that's the process that I took. So how did you know? it work for you? Well, what do you think of Philip Van Doren Stern's story? <laughs> well, okay. George Bailey had questionable character in the short story by the way by the way (laughs) you know the edition that we read yeah identified him as george bailey Mm -hmm. his original name was george pratt oh his george pratt so so now the editions that they have of philip van dornstern's story makes that makes that emendation to the story yeah and changes his name from george pratt to George, George Bailey. Bailey. That's interesting. Which, yeah. yeah. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I, I thought that was okay. interesting. So. It is interesting. It is interesting. Um, so the initial reaction to my to the story was um, sort of this similar. It was like this flashback I had to one of my. I have a seven year old son, and it's to one of his collections. He's really into like everything scary and Halloween, uh, and he has these little books of these like scary ghost stories, right? And they're like these little fables. They're like these little tales, but there's always this like gotcha ending mm. to them, you know? Mm. And, you know, you know, the ones I'm talking about, like, um, like, oh, there's this man and this woman and they fall in love, but the woman always wears the, you know, the ribbon. And when you take the ribbon off, off her head, off, falls, her head off. falls off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it yeah. was kind of, it gave me that flavor. It's a tiny, tiny well, you know, story. Well, here's it the gave thing. gave me that flavor. So well, I think that this story, I mean, um, one of the most famous short story writers of like the late 19th, early 20th century, whatever, was O. Henry. 
mm-hmm. you know, and oh, Henry was really famous for like these weird twists at the end, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I mean, one of his most famous stories, if not his most famous story is the gift of the Magi, which eventually, Amanda, I hate to tell you this, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to cover that story. I'm going to have to find us a stiffer drink. I'm just saying, but well, it's okay. Yeah. I I think that that. I think that O. Henry was a pretty strong drinker, so I don't think that'll be a problem. (laughs) But that this story, especially the end of this story, has that sort of flavor to it. Yeah, it does. You know, it it starts out so the the story, the literature begins at like the hour and a half mark where the uh, film is right so it's the la- the story begins in the last 30 minutes of the film so a man in despair mm-hmm. about to commit suicide an angel intervenes yeah. shows his life if he never it. if he didn't yeah. exist mm-hmm. right but there there's there's there are definitely some differences this angel gives this man a salesman bag which mm-hmm. makes total sense considering his father and his biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's a salesman's bag full of hairbrushes. And well, not just eight- hairbrushes. There's like furniture brushes. I don't know what the freak I don't, they I don't know what I don't the know. freak they did with brushes. The cleaning, back then. cleaning things with brushes. Every everything yeah. had a brush. It's like there's a tongue brush in there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> go ahead so, so he gets so the angel this this real difference you know this angel is very knowledgeable not necessarily the goofball parents uh-huh. in the movie and and he gives him this bag and he says you're gonna need this to talk to people because nobody's gonna know you and you're gonna you, need a way to break the ice basically is, right. is the basic overall right. theme what you wait know? wait wait i gotta stop this well, yeah. what is the name of the company that this a- this guy, uh, this angel would work for? What is it? It's like some cleaning company. It's what the it? World Cleaning Company. Company. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, okay. So, you know, I, I will say Philip Van Dornstern is not very subtle in, <laughs> no. in his, his metaphors and He's what he does. He's going to clean the world. He's going to mm-hmm. clean the world. Yeah. Anyway. So, so and and of- and Van Dornstern never identifies this guy as an angel. No, it's just this stranger. He calls him yeah. a stranger through the no, whole thing. No, that's true. That's true. I mm-hmm. just yeah. No, you're mm-hmm. right. So he so he gives him this bag of cleaning materials <laughs> so he can go door to door and have an excuse for talking to people. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of the gotcha moment for me is at the very end. The gotcha moment is in the final scene uh-huh. when he when he thinks when he thinks that he's back in his real life and that everything is normal and he's got his life back he finds one of those dastardly cleaning brushes in the couch cushions of his couch well, right he's he's literally convinced himself that he's dreamed yeah. the whole thing that it's like a nightmare that he had mm-hmm. this terrible nightmare yeah. and that everything is normal again um and then he finds the brush and that's like the dun 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 moment the, right at the that end is the literally the o henry moment yes that's the o henry moment it is yeah and so without you know without the additional for me just reading the short story without the additional context of this huge 
hour and a half long backstory which you which, loved which, which you, i love it was your I favorite loved. part it of was the my movie. favorite part of the film mm-hmm. and i am i will not i will not bag on the film marty just so you know but you but, better but, not you better the not order, the order that i experienced this i think is important to my impression though mm-hmm. because without that context you know i was left feeling like this story was like some middle-aged man's anxiety dream and i think it was i think it was it's like one of those dreams that we've all had you just like, described my life okay <laughs> <laughs> you know the dreams it's like the dream where you're calling the wrong number all the time or you're where you, you show have, up naked for you, work yeah, you don't have you know? any pants you can't find your shoes you gotta go somewhere you know does and, anybody notice that i'm naked you know, <laughs> know. So, did <laughs> i hold this folder a little lower you know that kind of <laughs> thing is, you know and this is like one of those weird like almost body snatchers anxiety <laughs> dreams where like you're not in your body and like everything is so weird and twisted and you can't get out of it um you know so so that was my initial impression of the story was that it was a weird body snatcher's dream <laughs> and, and he's you know and his character in the story he's more weary of the other characters in the story mm. versus with the film in the film he's He's so familiar with everybody, but in the story, it's like he accepts immediately or almost immediately that these people are not going to know him. So he doesn't go out saying, oh, it's me. It's George. It's George. He acts like a salesman Mm -hmm. and he tries to kind of get information from them without divulging who he really is because he knows they won't know and they won't care. They won't care because they don't know him. Um, so I don't know. I just, I, you know, there's this whole thing through the whole story. And I agree with you that he really, he really accepts this whole thing of people. My life has been erased. Yeah. You know? yeah. And how does he accept this really is because he comes to this tree and this tree is actually in the movie. Yeah. Because in the, in the movie, you know, Jimmy Stewart slash George Bailey runs his car drunkenly into a tree. Dashes right. And damages. Yeah. Right. Trunk of the tree. Yeah. Right. And this guy comes out and he was like, well, what's wrong with you? You're so drunk. And this tree is the oldest tree in, the you know, Bedford Falls. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, in the story, I mean, this whole thing does exist. Although if you read the story really closely, it's not clear when he actually damaged that mm-hmm. tree yeah it's like he damaged the tree but sometime his car isn't there we don't know you know yeah, we don't get we don't get this whole drunk driving thing with, no, with no, the story. There's, no, there's no drunk driving it just impure it just appears to me that that he has the impression that he knows that he damaged this tree set at some right. point in the past and he's know? and he's looking at this tree yeah. and he's going oh my god this tree is like totally intact <laughs> no, I, there's there's no scar in this tree because he was thinking I this old he's literally in the short story he's like oh this old guy he's such a crotchety old guy you know yeah. he's gonna I don't really want to stop but he looks at this tree and he doesn't notice that the tree is undamaged and, and from that moment on it seems accepts. like he accepts the whole concept Premise. of the, Yes. Of this stranger somehow erasing him yeah. from existence. That, like he just accepts it and he takes the, 
he takes the salesman bag and he decides to make a couple trips to different <laughs> places. You know, he goes to his parents' house. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super depressing. The whole thing is super depressing. <laughs> and then he goes to the, the okay. part that I, okay. Well, let, let's just say okay. that. And we talked about this with, with, um, with uh, Brodsky too yeah. la- last month, but we have to somehow, you know, like defining Christmas lit is yeah. very hard because what do you consider true Christmas lit versus Christmas I don't know, whatever is stuff that's set at Christmas. And, but Christmas lit, literally books about Christmas, movies about Christmas, TV shows about Christmas. There is always for me, this element, this really sad element to those stories before you get this sort of moment at the end where everything is redeemed and Christmas saves everything. Redemption right? and grace. At the right, end, exactly. Right? So what you Fala get. la la la. la 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 la. Yes. Yes, you, you get that moment. But, um, you know, this, and this story, The Greatest Gift, sort of is in total keeping with that. You know, in fact, it starts out a guy throw, thinking of throwing himself off a freaking bridge. Yeah. Um, get, you know, throwing himself, thinking of throwing himself off the bridge. And I mean, so it end, it starts with, by the way, at this moment, I am pouring myself like the last. Oh, my God. Good on, good on you, Marty. Uh, I don't know if I'm. <laughs> my shaker is empty. My shaker is dry and it makes me sad, okay. but it's probably for the best. Well, it probably is because this is like <laughs> half a bottle of that Tangeray that you sent me. So anyway. But anyway, I, yeah. But can I tell you? Can I just tell you what my favorite part of the sure, of the short sure, story sure, sure, is? Sure. And this has and this is completely separate from the film. Mm-hmm. But this is the part of this short story that I really thought was Christmassy. No, not at all. Oh, I thought okay. it. I thought it. No, I did not think it was Christmassy at all. Okay. But I thought it was interesting, and okay. it was hard. It was hard to pull anything of true interest out of this tiny story. <laughs> wow, that's oh, harsh. Maybe I'm a harsh person to say that. But you know, but okay, here's the thing. We are coming at it from a very 21st century contemporary kind yes. of taste for yes, a story. Here, but here's the interesting part to it. This part was so, I just loved it. I loved it. It made me laugh. It it made me, okay, I'll just get into it. All so, right. He visits his parents mm-hmm. first. Yep. He learns that Mary, his wife, has has married. I was going to say remarried, but no. In this version, like she just got married to this other person because he never existed. She gets married to kind of this ne'er do well drunk. Right. He learns this, but he doesn't. He's too afraid to ask if she has children. Mm-hmm. He finally gets the courage ah. to go to her to Mary's house, mm-hmm. and he knocks on the door and he acts as the you know the cleaning brush salesman. She lets him in, and he notices the first okay. thing. He, let yeah. me let me just say, 
if someone knocks on your door, Amanda, and says, hey, I got a free brush for you. <laughs> See, but this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about like 21st century. All right. You know, right. I don't even go, answer my door. Go ahead. If you knock I'm on sorry. my door, I don't even answer it. If I'm not I don't even answer you, my freaking phone. So me go neither. ahead. Me neither. All right, go okay. ahead. But this, you know, this was in the time where somebody knocked on your door, you answered it. Oh, they had something for you. They wanted to talk to you, give you a spiel. You let them in. You gave a them brush? Sure. Sure. A free brush. Why, yes, thank you. May I have another? Okay. So brush so he, away, brush away, please so, brush, brush again. So he comes in and he notices that Mary, he knows that she has she's married to some other man. He notices that by God, she has the same blue sofa that uh-huh. they had in real life. She and the and that was a big, it was a contentious argument between them in his life, in his real life, not in this whole, you know, strange, weird, weirdo world that he's living in, this nightmare that he's in right now. But this blue sofa, this expensive blue mm-hmm. sofa that Mary that they won, argued about. They, they argued, argued about it, and Mary won the argument, not mm-hmm. only in real life, but also in his nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that part I thought was hilarious because it yeah. just gave me visions of, okay, this story is based off this like middle-aged man's dream. And even in his dream, his wife still wins the argument. Well, and, I, and, and, as, and as a wife, I've just got to chuckle a little bit <laughs> myself about that. Well, here's the, yeah, here's the thing. I mean, it's this one, it's the one thing that is consistent yeah, in his in his reality versus this alternate reality where he it's, doesn't exist. It's the only thing that's coming. And it's almost like he's like gleeful or joyful of the fact oh. that Mary wins this argument, even with this drunk husband who's abusive and, you know, well, seems very physically abusive and stuff I like think that. It, I think it's worthy of reading the actual text. I'm going to read it. Here. All right, it's go like, ahead. Yeah, when because George... I'm seeing double right now. So go okay. ahead. Okay. When George entered the living room, unhappy as he was, he could not help noticing with a secret (laughs) grin that the too high-priced blue sofa they often had quarreled over was there. Mm -hmm. Evidently, Mary had gone through the same thing with Art Jenkins, the terrible, horrible, drunken Drunken husband. That that part's not in there. And Mm -hmm. had won the argument with him, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So that part, okay, that was, I had a, I had a great little internal chuckle here's about a, here, that. Here's a weird thing. Let me just yeah. point this out. So Mark, uh, Art Jenkins is the brother of Marty Jenkins okay. in this story, who is this guy who like steals like thousands and thousands of dollars from the bank and causes the bank to close in the town and literally steals all this money. Marty, the Marty Jenkins in the story Mm-hmm. If you watch the movie, Mary mm-hmm. Mary's mother in Mary's brother in the story is named Marty. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Marty Jenkins becomes Marty Thatcher, okay. um, Mary's brother and in, in no, the movie. And there is no bank in the movie. It's the savings and loan. Well, no, but should. there's a bank, but yeah. Mr. Potter runs the bank. Well, yeah, true. But but the but the the bank that I think the short story references is having gone bust because this mm-hmm. Marty character steals the money. 
is is really the savings and loan. It's mm-hmm. what becomes the savings and loan mm-hmm. in the movie. Absolutely. Okay, I'm okay. sorry. Go okay. ahead. I had okay. to interrupt. Okay. That That's was okay. interesting. That's okay. There's this other, okay, There's so there are these two interesting parts to this short story that mm-hmm. I like. That first mm-hmm. one is is this example of like this man's like repressed psyche dreaming about how his wife is in control in real life and also in his dreams and i don't know if he's okay with that anyway so the other part is is when he meets her children mary unlike (laughs) the movie she's not some you know spinster librarian who's never married oh no she's married and she has kids she's procreated with this drunken man and her kids are awful they're homely (laughs) (laughs) they're they're rude they're just like her drunk husband and george is internally gleeful he is gleeful that she's got really crappy kids with this alternative husband and i just thought if that isn't like humanity speaking it's ultimate truth right there (laughs) what is it really is you know because he has been erased from the face of the earth yeah you know his his brother who he saved from drowning Mm -hmm. when he was 16 years old is dead is dead because he wasn't there to save him right the bank that george george pratt not Mm -hmm. bailey george pratt works at you know which which he's been working at his entire life since he graduated from high school Mm -hmm. the bank is closed down because the guy i think it's marty jenkins marty jenkins you know has like stolen or embezzled like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars it's gone bust it's gone bust right Right. so without, without george the bank is gone bust Mary's married some awful abusive person and she's got really ugly, terrible kids. <laughs> right, right. But she has that damn sofa. She well, has she that blue sofa, you know? So those are the two, I'll, I'll stop rambling on about this short story now, but those are the two. Are we parts. supposed to be rambling about the short story? Yeah, I know we are. I know we are. But those were like the two real pieces of this small story that I thought were really kind of fascinating glimpses into the psyche of this author who dreamt this story. And what we have you to know? avoid, what we have to avoid as like these jaded, as the <laughs> jaded contemporary readers that we are. Yeah. Because we are, we're, we're cynical jaded contemporary readers you know except when it oh and there's my dog going <laughs> that's all right um so um yeah the, our jaded contemporary readers you know what what it is is that you know this whole story is not really a contemporary short story we have to keep that in mind no this not. short but- story it's like almost like a fable it is. And it's yeah. supposed to be sort of a, a fable for everyone. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be inclusive. It's, it's a Christmas fable. For everyone. For everyone that has a lesson at the end. And that lesson is that, you know, is the same lesson that's sort of in the movie. I mean, that lesson carries over from the short story to the it movie. It is. It is. But without the hour and a half huh. 
backstory that makes you which made you weep made me weep within the first 10 minutes without Mm. this amazing backstory that makes you care about the character of george bailey of george whatever his last name is without all of this sort of human experience that goes into it what i was left with was like this is just some angry dad in a minivan I, I totally get that. <laughs> but again, that's a contemporary thing. And I will qualify that, that by saying that I have driven and and spent many an hour in a minivan. I mean, this is not against minivans, mm-hmm. people, okay? But, yeah. it, but it is that feeling of like sort of this man who maybe doesn't so, quite have control over so do we bring his life. So do we bring this contemporary feeling should we actually look at this film from a contemporary or not film but short story should we look at it as from a contemporary viewpoint which is where we want to go amanda let's yeah let's, you know you know but, okay, after well, our, after after five drinks i i swear <laughs> to god this is five drinks after five drinks five martinis french martinis you know where i finished off almost half a bottle of tangeray um you know, we look at it and we think, you know, this is really, it's not complex. It's fairly simplistic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a short story that, you know, has this, has all the elements. I mean, I I mean, I never got bored with the short story. No, know, I I do think it's interesting though, that I can relate it to, to a really basic sort of basic sort of core traits of humanity and our natures I think that's I think that's and I think that's for the story I think that's what's lasting about the story I think that's what appealed to Frank Capra Mm -hmm. about the story the director of It's a Wonderful Life I think that's what what appealed to um what it what appealed to Jimmy Stewart the star of the movie yeah you know and it's really hard let's let's admit it for me, especially as a person who has loved this movie mm-hmm. um, since a very young age, it's very hard to separate the movie from the short story. Because what I'm comparing constantly is I'm like, I'm reading this short story and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, that's exactly what was in the short story. You know, like this whole exchange where um, the angel. Oh, you, mean, you mean in the film? You mean like that's yeah, exactly in the, like what's yeah, in the film? Yeah, it's exactly what's in the film. But this whole exchange between the stranger, he's never identified as an angel, mm-hmm. you know, all of this whole religious background and everything, you know, is not there. He's just no. identified as this weird stranger that has this knowledge. <laughs> but, but this now, but this, but the lines here are exactly, Capra lifted these lines exactly from the short story. I mean, especially right, and you're right that this short story is like the last quarter. Of yeah. the movie. It's the last the 30 minutes. I timed it. Mm-hmm. It's the last 30 minutes of the film. Of course you timed it because that's what you do, Amanda. <laughs> Are you saying I'm anal retentive? I, I'm, Thank not you. Say, I'm not Thank saying you. that. Let's take another drink to be anal retentive. <laughs> Cheers. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, listen to this because you'll recognize these lines. Um, 
so this is George and he's like lamenting his life and saying that, you know, I never did anything. You know, my life is not the way I turned out to be. Yeah. Says, I never did anything really use. This is from the short story. I never did anything really useful or interesting. And it looks as if I never will. I might just as well be dead. And here's the lines that are almost exactly verbatim from the shorts from the movie. I might be better dead. Sometimes I wish I were. In fact, I wish I'd never been born, which mm-hmm. is a line that's exactly from the movie. And then it says here in the short story, the little man stood looking at him in the growing darkness. What was that you said? He said, he asked softly. And George says this, and this is again, straight from the movie yeah. as well. I said, I wish I'd never been born. George repeated firmly, and I mean it too. You know, and the con- the context we get from the film that adds to that is, you know, Potter is the one that makes the statement, "You're worth more dead than alive." Yeah, and that's yeah. the yeah. moment where you see Jimmy Stewart, you see George Bailey, realize, "My God, he's right." Mm-hmm. If I were dead, that would solve this problem. Not thinking about the impact that it would have on all the people who love him and, and depend upon him. And that's, and that's something that is present in the short story, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you totally, in fact, that's like the whole, oh, I just took off <laughs> everything. I'm pouring the rest of my drink. And, oh Are you my wearing God. your drink tonight, Marty? I, you know what? I have been <laughs> spilling my martinis all night long, which is never good. But anyway, but it could and, be very good. I'm just well, saying. it could be good, you know. But Let's think positively. All right, I'm positive <laughs> it could be very good. But anyway, you know this the, this whole idea of what is a man's life worth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know how much you know. I, that's I think the crux of it. That's that's the, crux the of, and of, I think of everything. And I think that's why this story has sort of endured. It's a simplistic short story. There's no, there's nothing really complex about this short story. You know, and George that, Pratt slash George Bailey. You know his his whole thing. He comes across as kind of a in the short story, kind of a yeah. whiner. You yeah, know, and he's, and he's kind of in the story. He's he's. Oh, how do I want to say it? It, it, He's very Mm self-important, you know, and that's, that's sort of the thing that I had to struggle with, with the short story and the film and everything in the film makes it not, not as much like that. Mm -hmm. But, but in the short story, you walk away with this feeling of like, well, so everybody's life is just total dumpster because you're you weren't in it like that's that's a very sort of self-important isn't that that what we all would like to think that's what we would all like to think that's what What would would your life be without me well right exactly i would be a shell i would be a would be like a hollow i would would. and i would would be like rocking in the corner i would be the same without you i would be like (laughs) i would be like you know in the corner in a dark room hugging a pillow 
yes. you know, lamenting the fact yes. of how empty my life was. But you know, the reality, <laughs> the reality is that life goes on. Mm. People, everyone's life would not be ruined if one person was missing from I don't know I don't know if that's I don't know no, if that's exactly I, the mo I don't know if that's, that's exactly the message I think that the exact the message is is that one life touches so many other lives in ways that we have no concept of understanding well I and think if that I agree life is with you. gone yeah I agree with you that that's the intended message but the short story doesn't fully flesh that out for me not the way the movie does not the way the film does because you get all that you get you care about george you care about all these things you care about how many you know righteous speeches he's given you know and how much he's sacrificed to do the right thing you care about that um and and it's just not there in the story it's just there's a couple there's like two instances or one instance of him. It was you know, a did, Christmas he, card he, for he God's sake. No, I know, but I'm just telling you what my impression is of it. And I and I had, you know, it was an interesting experience to be able to just read the story and not have any of the film impacting my impression of the story. Mm-hmm. So we'll say that. I will say this about the short story versus the film. Mm-hmm. The film is far superior yes. to the short story. I mean, I mean, and I understand- it's Two hours long for- <laughs> Right, and I understand that the shorts, that the film would not exist without the short story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally get that, you know, yeah. but you're right that, you know, the reason that we care about George Bailey in the movie is because of the two hours of backstory yeah. that we get about everything that he's done for everybody in this town, how he's saved people from economic depression, how he's saved people from living in slums, how Marty, he's, yeah. The love story, the love story is no, what we here care we go. about. The here love we go. story between George and Mary is what we really care Mary about. Mary is a perfect wife. Mary is a ridiculous ideal. Mary is a fantasy. But you know what? If my but, fantasy is Donna Reed, <laughs> I'm sorry. I am totally down for that. I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it's it was the perfect casting choice. I'm just saying that when she's like perfectly done up and she's wallpapering. When is she not perfectly done up? Well, I know. I'm just it. You know, it kind of makes us us real wives <laughs> feel you need to step than... up your game Amanda <laughs> you need to step up your game okay no, but it's this it's this love story and it's and the fact that George in the film is such a bozo when it comes to Mary <laughs> throughout most of the film like you know he's just he doesn't see she is the greatest gift she is his greatest gift mm. that's what I believe and, and it takes him the whole film to figure it out until the very end when she literally like, like, you she know, saves the day. Saves him she's from like, jail. she <laughs> is like, she is literally, I mean, I, I will admit yeah. this. She is like the superhero of the movie. She is. And there's, and there's this great, my, one of my favorite scenes 
is um well okay i love the one where where they he realizes that he loves her the faces are kind of smashed together and he's kind of violently shaking her and realizing <laughs> his love that i think is pretty hysterically funny and i loved it um it's probably not with the times but but i did like i did enjoy that but the, but the one scene that i i really liked is when george is on his way to mary's house mm-hmm not really because he wants to go there, but because his like, you know, uh, overbearing mother is kind of pushing him. Like, Mary's in town. Mary's in town. Go see Mary. Really, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You're really <laughs> critical of these people. <laughs> let me tell you. It's all there. It's all there. I just watched it and just have opinions. I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> true. So, but he, but he runs into Violet and Violet is like the va-va-voom, you know, like she's got the figure, I love and Violet. Got the clothes and I love Violet. he's got everything and he runs, he, he runs into her and. Oh, you told he, me about this. How yes, much you love this. I love this. And he says to her, let's go out in the fields and take our shoes, take off our <laughs> shoes and walk through the grass. And she's like, huh? And he's like. Then we can go up to the falls. It's beautiful up there in the moonlight. There's a green pool up there and we can, we can swim in it. We can climb Mount Bedford, smell the pines, watch the sunrise against the peaks, stay up there the whole night. Everybody will be talking. There'll be a terrific scandal. And she's like, peace out, brother. I'm not a part of that. I got to take I can off. see you Sorry. almost, well, I can see you almost glowing when you read those lines. Yeah. See, but this is this is like the the romantic George. This mm. is the romantic George in the same way that Mary mirrors that as the romantic Mary when she looks at this like dump of a house and envisions that this could be the place where she could be with him. It's the wife you know? that everybody wants. <laughs> Okay, it's you know, unattainable ideal. It's ex- well, unattainable you know ideal. what? It's always about the unattainable ideal. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, well, you know, she's got to be shaken while he tells her he loves her, and you know, violently kissed, and don't, all this. Kind don't of be stuff. Cri- Don't wait. Don't be <laughs> criticizing. It's a Wonderful Life because it is literally my favorite Christmas I know. film. And you yourself said that you loved it and that you're going to watch it and you can't believe that you has been this long. I want to watch it every Christmas now. I want to watch it every Christmas. I want to roast my own chicken on a spit in my own fireplace. However, (laughs) I want to do that. I'm not (laughs) sure if (laughs) one of my Christmas traditions, Christmas traditions, Christmas traditions, and cheers to that <laughs> and cheers to that <laughs> as i try to finish oh my god <laughs> are we i'm not have sure to write? are we gonna have to write we are gonna have to write oh, so you better be, be careful oh i see your raspberries in your cup mm-hmm. there i know um, they're fancy i like mm-hmm. them you are so fancy you know <laughs> You look like Mary Bailey right now. Stop. You really do. Dude, I'm unwashed. You're so perfect. You're so perfect. You know? I'm unwashed. I have the, I have the sweat sheen. Ladies and gentlemen Bailey. listening to this podcast, she's wearing pearls and she's in high heels right now. <laughs> right. right. So anyway. Yeah. Where Continue. was I going with this? I have no idea. <laughs> I'll let there be. Okay. No, what I was going to say is, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is one of those movies that I will watch several times 
over Christmas. I love yeah. this movie. I think for me, and other people disagree with this, I think it is like the the ultimate Christmas movie for me. Yeah. I, you know, I love the ending. You know, I love the whole, the whole schmaltzy, you know, to <laughs> my brother, to my brother, George, the richest man. And I love that. I know. I because know. it's just, it, it, it calls to mind an era and a time that in some ways was simpler, but in sometimes more complex, because yeah. what you're talking about is a time where we are just coming off the worst worst world war the worst war that the world has ever seen yeah and all these people are coming back from that war having seen monstrosities i mean jimmy stewart he was suffering through that whole filming with post-traumatic stress from his own wartime experiences so all that time where you see him coming unglued in the movie that's him working through all of those experiences that he had during World War II. So, so, this, so this film really, I could see how this film would speak to people coming back and trying to figure out where is my place in this, the, yeah. in this, in this world, in this environment that I don't feel necessarily connected to right but now. But the sad thing is about this movie is that it didn't really t- speak to those people mm. because it was not a, really a success when it first yeah. came out. I mean, it came out, you know, in December. You know, by the way, this movie was filmed during one of the biggest heat waves that ever existed <laughs> in Los Angeles. So when you that's see, right, he was so sweaty. <laughs> he, he was always sweating, and that's because all these people that are walking around in their wool coats and you know yeah. mittens and gloves, they they're walking around in those things in ninety degree weather. You know, yeah. and Jimmy Stewart is all sweaty, not because he's all manic because he he's suicidal. He's he's sweaty because well, it's friggin' he's hot. Gonna- stroke out he's gonna stroke out <laughs> because it's like 90 degrees and he's having to wear these winter clothes but anyway you know the movie itself somehow did not resonate hmm. at the time you know and it was only years later after yeah. this movie started being being shown on tv and you know there's this whole thing about the the copyright lapsing and mm-hmm. stuff like that where people start the 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 TV stations were able to show it over and over and over where it started mm-hmm. gaining its popularity. But nowadays, which is really interesting, it resonates now in a way that it never resonated back hmm. in 1946 or 47. Hmm. And I think it's because sort of it harkens back to a much simpler time you know, yeah. where, where, you know, the, the, and I'm not saying I particularly subscribe to this idea where, you know, there was a guy who could make a difference in the world, a little yeah. guy who could make a difference in the world. And he was supported by this woman mm-hmm. in his home yeah. who was perfect in every freaking <laughs> way. Don't. You no, know, you know, I mean, I mean, come on. Don't do that you, to poor Mary. Come on. Who wouldn't want to be married to Donna Reed? You would want to be married I to would Donna love Reed. to be married to Donna Reed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. She had those kids in tip-top shape. I'll those tell you. Those kids were beautiful. 
I have Those a problem. Kids were beautiful. She goes out and gets everybody to just shower us with money to just make it rain with. I need. Cash. I need. Will you be my Mary, Kelly, <laughs> Amanda? I want you to be. You 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 look like Donna be, Reed. You should I, be Donna Reed. I think you would be sorely disappointed with the reality, Mark. <laughs> Just saying, let's stick with the movie. Let's I'm always stick with sorely disappointed. I am always sorely disappointed <laughs> with reality. So let's uh, now that we've <laughs> talked about our our sore disappointment. Oh my God. Let's let's rank the greatest. Bit. Oh my God. Here so we go. I'm each... so, this is going to be so hard for me. <laughs> each month, Marty and I will assign each book as we discuss either one to five tiny Tims mm. in honor of Charles Dickens and his contribution to the Christmas lit canon. So mm. one tiny Tim is the lowest. That means tiny Tim freezes to death, waiting for his father on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and Scrooge. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm taking a drink. Scrooge asphyxiates on a chicken bone in front of his fireplace before Jacob Marley ever appears. Okay. Yes. And five so. tiny five tiny Tims. Tiny Tim grows up to be like prime minister. <laughs> Okay. And, and Scrooge spends the rest of his life campaigning for universal health care for everybody. (laughs) Exactly. Scrooge. You know, I love, I love that. Okay. So So, one to five tiny tips. One to five, one total crap. Five. (laughs) Hallelujah. Mm. Uh, So Marty, how many tiny Tims are you going to give Philip Van Dorn Stern's the greatest gift? I have been drinking and thinking about this <laughs> for many days. I can't wait. This is this is really hard for me. You know this is yes, difficult for I me know. because I, I love it. I love the movie. Okay. You're, now if Marty, I were I know we're not rating the movie. If I were rating the space, yeah. okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so if I were rating the movie it would get five tiny tims. Well, of course. Okay. 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 So, but we're rating the short story. The short story. Okay, by Philip Van Dornster. It's a Christmas card. A Christmas card. So, you can here it. I go. Here I go. <laughs> um, I'm going to. I gave like I I gave Joseph Brodsky two tiny Tims last month. Yeah, right? that was shocking to me. But anyway, why continue. is I don't know. Right, I'm go going ahead. to give Philip Van Dornster the greatest gift, and I'm a hard writer. Most of my students in the college would agree with this. Mm. I'm going to give Philip Van Doren Stern's The Greatest Gift three tiny Tims. Really? Yes, three tiny Tims. That's higher than what I thought. You know, here's the thing, because I believe this is a Christmas story. Yeah. I truly believe this, which is different from Joseph Brodsky's um, uh, Nativity Poem. It is a Christmas story. It's set at Christmas. It is. It's meant to make you feel those Christmas feels. And I do get those Christmas moments, you know, where he returns home and he's hugging Mary and everything is so much better. And they're getting ready to go out to church and, you know, all that. So I I get that. Exactly. Exactly. Gratefulness to the, to the, so so I don't see tiny Tim like wasting (laughs) away and dying (laughs) On the street corner on Christmas Eve in this moment, in this short story. I I, I do believe that Tiny Tim is going to live a little longer. <laughs> and Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge and Ebenezer yeah, Scrooge, 
Yeah, and Ebenezer Scrooge might give Bob Cratchit a little raise. <laughs> and, you know, maybe, you know, he's not the greatest man of all time, Scrooge, but he's a little better you know, in, in this. From reading this short story, he's like, wait a minute, maybe I, I, I need to be a little bit better. Maybe my life should make a difference. Not a big difference. Not you a know, big I'm not going to give up all my money for God's sake because, you know, I can't. But he wants to make a little bit of a difference. And that little bit of a difference is that, you know, Scrooge will give some money away and Tiny Tim will live a little bit longer. So three Tiny Tims. That's what I'm going to give. Uh, the Greatest Gift by Philip Van Dornstern. And now I'm going to take a drink. As Amanda right. tells me how many Tiny Tims she's giving it. Well, I must be the ultimate Scrooge because oh, I'm going to give God. two Tiny Tims oh to this God. story. I'm only going to give two Tiny Tims. Because less than Joseph Brodsky? Less than, oh, oh far God. less than Joseph Brodsky. Because the, I'm just looking at the story itself. I'm not thinking about Jimmy Stewart. I'm not thinking about... <laughs> Donna Reed, I'm thinking about a middle-aged man having a dream about how he lost yet another argument with his wife <laughs> and he's feeling pantsless, he's feeling invisible, and he's thinking, without me, you're going to end up drunk with ugly kids. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's really cynical. It's, I, it is. As I suck, as I'm, <laughs> I, as I'm eating some gin-soaked raspberries right now. So Marty, I'm just, I'm just speaking my truth. Okay, mm. that's what I'm doing. Mm. And it only gets two tiny tims from me. Two so tiny tims. So you two, go. two tiny tims from you. Yep. Three tiny tims from me. Yep. So that averages out to. I have no idea. Two and a half. Two and a half tiny tims. <laughs> two and exactly. a half. Two and a half. So it's so, like Tiny Tim with an extra crutch. Yeah, with like That's a little mini crutch, an extra little. Which yeah. means that Tiny Tim sort of is a little bit mm. better. Mm. Yeah, you mm. know, he's he lives still, a little bit longer. He's still yeah. sick. He's still, he's still sick, sick. And he's going to die young. <laughs> you know, that, that's just it is. <laughs> so now that um, we are, we I would say we are sufficiently lit for Christmas. Oh my God, I was lit before we even started. I know, I know. And we've talked about Christmas lit ad nauseum. <laughs> and now it's time for a little Christmas lit ourselves. All right. I honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Okay, so yes, it, it yeah. yes, it's time for the lessons that they teach. And aside from drinking to excess, which we have tonight, I mean, we have. Real, more than last month, Thanks we have drunk to the French martini. Oh yes. my God. And reading Christmas lit. Amanda and I are also poets. All right. So that means that when the spirit hits us <laughs> and it has hit, well, I don't know about you, Amanda, but I can say it's, it's hit me really hard tonight. Uh, we love to pick up our pens and write. 
And this month, it's all about the lessons that Philip Van Dornstern teaches us. So Marty's going to give a writing prompt based on a passage from The Greatest Gift. And then Marty and I are going to write for 15 minutes. Or we may just sit here slumped in our chairs. Staring at each other <laughs> over, over Zoom. Going but, yeah, exactly. yeah, right. Hopefully not. But okay. after 15 minutes is up. <laughs> All right. Amanda and I will share what we have written. <laughs> Whether, we're sorry, we're sorry yeah, in advance. Yes, we are. We apologize. <laughs> What, so we're going to share what we've written, whether yeah. it's worth five tiny Tims, which is really pushing Ooh, it, might be or zero might be Christmas miracle, <laughs> or zero tiny Tims, <laughs> which means that we're both going to throw ourselves off a bridge into water sure. below. And so, but we, promise. that's our pact. Yeah. But we want all of you to join in the fun. So okay? grab your journal, grab a pen your laptop, your iPhone, uh, a napkin, a cocktail napkin, whatever you have in front of you to write with. Scribble on the wall with the, yes. with a Sharpie. We don't yes. care. But once I give you the prompt, what you, what you have to do is pause the podcast, set a timer for 15 minutes, and just write with us. You know, feel free to put on some Bing Crosby. Shake up another martini. Oh my God, don't do, don't do that. <laughs> what, do not whatever, do that. Whatever is going to put you in the Christmas spirit, okay? All right. So here's my prompt. Amanda has no idea. She never has no any idea. idea. I don't. What, what I'm going to do. And she, she, she's, she's usually very frightened at this moment. It, I am. It's very unfair, but you know, I, you know I'm down with it. It's okay. <laughs> Because I'm George Bailey and she's Mary, Mary, Mary Bailey. And she has to do what I tell her to do, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but I always win the arguments. But I always win the arguments. I, will, I get I the blue tell, couch. Okay. I will tell you faithful listeners of Lit for Christmas that she looks exactly like Donna Reed. <laughs> in, the, in the final scene of It's a Wonderful Life, her hair is perfect. She's wearing pearls. And she's staring at me adoringly. <laughs> oh As my I'm God. counting the cash. I'm just yes. counting cash. That's all yeah. I'm doing here. All right. Okay. 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 So give me the go. prompt. Give me the prompt. Okay. Here we go. So I'm going to read you a little passage from, um, from Philip Van Dornstern's, um, <clears throat> if I can see properly. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to read you a little passage. For those of you that purchased the book, um, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that was terrible of me to say. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so I'm going to start on the bottom of page two. Okay. And mm -hmm. it's this description that um, Van Dornstern gives of the stranger who oh, is, okay. who is the angel mm -hmm. in, in, in the story. Let's see here. Where am I going to start? Um, Let's see, George wondered what this man's business was. He was the most unremarkable little person, the sort you would pass in a crowd and never notice. Unless you saw his bright blue eyes, that is, you couldn't forget them for they were the kindest, sharpest eyes you ever saw. Nothing else about him was noteworthy 
He wore a moth-eaten old fur cap and a shabby overcoat that was stretched tightly across his paunchy belly. He was carrying a small black satchel. It wasn't a doctor's bag. It was too large for that and not the right shape. It was a salesman's sample kit. George decided with distaste. The fellow was probably some sort of peddler, the kind who would go around poking his sharp little nose into other people's affairs. So that's Van Doren Stern's description of um, this person that George Pratt, it's Pratt, even though most editions now uh, uh, change that to George Bailey, but it's the, it's the guy that George Pratt um, encounters on the bridge, who's never identified as an angel, although it's fairly sure. So here's what I want you to do. And Manda, you're going to love this. You're going to okay. love this. <laughs> I want you to think of a person. It can be a famous person, a politician, an artist, a world leader, or someone who in some profession that you um, might be considered, you know, um, like lower, lower than, you know, like whatever a college professor or an attorney would be okay mm -hmm. and i um someone who you would never mm -hmm. think of as an angel okay and i want you to write about that person and make that person a christmas angel wow okay all right all right okay so here's what you do guys you pause this podcast for 15 minutes and write with us and then when we come back after 15 minutes, we are going to share what we have written <laughs> and I am not guaranteeing what I'm going to write because I have no idea. I'm, I'm down to the end of my second shaker of martinis now. So <laughs> I think that's like, what Amanda, is that like five martinis yeah, or something like that? You're five martinis deep tonight, Marty. All right, so I'm gonna. All right, so we're gonna <laughs> pause here for 15 minutes, and Amanda and I are gonna write. Please write with us, and uh, we'll see you on the end of this for this 15 minutes. That is 15 minutes. And, <laughs> and now, Amanda, it's time, unfortunately, to share what we have written. And hopefully, um, <laughs> ho hopefully, it's going to be the greatest gift. Um, and not want to make people like leap to their death off a bridge or anything like that. So I'd say get your life vest ready because <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> okay. With that being said, Amanda, do you want to go first? I would love to go first. Let's let's get this over with. Yeah, for me. let's okay. please. Yeah. yeah. I'm, wait a minute. Okay. I'm gonna take another drink here. So okay. mm. oh my god. <laughs> I shouldn't I, I need to stop. Okay, go ahead. All right. Starbucks tramp. 
I do not know his name or where he was from, other than he sat, body turned toward a loving man, and clasped hands in an awkward, unbreaking stare in a Starbucks just before dinner. Neither love nor the man saw me as I walked in, ordered a slice of lemon bread, and sat directly in front of love's knees, waiting as manners dictate. They held on, fingers wrapped tightly, knuckles white as bone or styrofoam, and love looked this man in the eye, unblinking, despite the odor of alcohol, sweat, dirty human creases. When I could not wait any longer, cleared my throat, redirected love's gaze to mine, motioned to the door, conscious that the others were watching, wondering why love would bother looking upon someone so obviously unlucky. We stood, they embraced, all arms and chest in the way of men, and the Starbucks shivered in horror. Drywall dust falling from rafters, coating each coffee like cinnamon. This is no place for love's embrace. They blinked and looked everywhere, but the man into their coffee, canteen, screen, shaking off the face they'd never seen. Wow. That's it. <laughs> fa la 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 Wow. Okay, you know what? It, 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 what you just compared to what I wrote? Um, <laughs> You have just won the Nobel Prize in literature. Shut okay. Up, shut all right. All right. Now, okay. Here's, read your stuff. Read your stuff. Here. I'm reading my stuff. All right. This one is called Archangel Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. The stranger with the face of a stunned tortoise stares at me on this bridge above the black ice water. I can see in his gaze the kind of chivalry that went out of style when Clark Gable carried Vivian Leigh up that Tara staircase. This man wants to help me, lifts his hands and in them holds something sweet, a praline maybe full of maple and pecan. I take it from his palm. He nods the way he nodded when Seraphim McCain raised his hand extended his thumb downward to that place of Dante circles. This stranger has no agenda, doesn't care about Scrooge or Tiny Tim, Mr. Potter or George. He retreats into his shell, curls inside, the way a snail nestles in the Nautilus of his life. Here in this spiraled heaven, he is the angel announcing the birth that will save some lost soul from throwing himself into, uh, into the boiling river. Something simple, a salamander from the circus changing colors as the mood hits him. Here on this Christmas Eve, he watches over the sleeping city, writes in his journal, I am a mollusk trying to form a pearl. Take it from my tongue, the pearl says. Like a grain of sand, you can be a star 
rising above the chimneys where sheep are more important than God sleeping in dung infested hay. Mm. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but like I said, we always say, you know, I, I'm not even going to give that a, any kind of tiny Tim. You know, that's just, oh, um, oh my God. Give it a tiny gin. Give it a tiny gin. I that's don't think we need any more tiny gins <laughs> or big gins tonight. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we did well, it. Come we on. did it. All and right. Marty and I would love to read your responses to this prompt. Based because on they got to be better yeah. than ours. <laughs> <laughs> just paste what you wrote into the comments of this episode or email it to litforchristmas at gmail.com. And if you do, we just might share what you send to us on the next episode of Lit for Christmas, which we're going to drop next month on April 24th. Okay, well, um, speaking of our next episode. I know you. You, you are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You will show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Night and spirit, ghost of the future. Oh, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. April is National Poetry Month. So next month, Marty and I will be reading and talking about Seamus Haney's collection of poems, Wintering Out, a little Irish take on the Yuletide season. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I, <laughs> you so know, sure Seamus that. Haney is a god. He can do no wrong. So this um, is true. This I is mean, true. I don't know how Christmassy he is, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out. So, so get your hands on Haney's book. Again, it's called Wintering Out read it, and join us on April 24th as Amanda and I, God help us, it <laughs> lit for Christmas again. again. <laughs> Bottoms up, everyone. Uh, cheers, you old, wonderful old building and loan. right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. And a boy clad.
Thank you for coming to our little Yuletide shindig. The theme for this show is Jingle Bells Jazzy Style by Julius H., used courtesy of Pixabay. And the Lit for Christmas writing music is A Christmas Treat by Magic 828, also used courtesy of Pixabay. All music, sounds, audio clips, and quotes in this podcast are the property of their individual copyright holders. They are used solely for the purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Tomorrow morning, drink lots of water. Go to the library and check out some Christmas books. Visit the liquor store and stock up on Christmas cheer. Your invitation is already in the mail for next month's Lit for Christmas party. The tree will be lit, and so will we. Let's keep the Christmas spirits flowing all year long. <laughs>